Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have Tom McReynolds of Black Mountain Outfitters. Tom, how you doing? Good. How are you doing? Good. The last time we talked, uh, we were, I think, talking after the rut. Uh, and uh, since then, you've uh, opened up an operation in Mexico for uh, mule deer, sheep, and, and coos deer. How was your season down there? Uh, it was great. We killed some tremendous animals, and everything went very, very smooth, and a lot of happy hunters. That's good. What would you say your primary focus um, is down there? Is it mule deer, or is it sheep? Or? Uh, mule deer and coos deer. Uh, primarily mule deer, but we have such good coos deer that you know we ended up probably on an average. Our coos deer hunters went 100% kill of close to a 115 average, so our coos deer uh, operation has kind of taken off. <laughs> That's good. Our, your, your hunting is primarily desert hunting, correct? Yes. It's, uh, it's not your typical country in Mexico where you hunt coos deer. It's right on the coast, so it's very, very desert-like. Not, uh, it's not centrally located like a lot of the other, or most of the coos deer operations are. What kind of density? Is it fairly low density but giant bucks? Yeah, very low density. Um, you'll find real heavy pocketed areas of deer. Um, a lot of a lot of areas don't have any coos deer, but then you get in one of those pockets and it'll just be loaded with loaded with coos deer, and they're big. And then those deer will kind of spread out a little bit during the rut. So you could be, I mean, you'll just never know where you're at, and you'll see a big buck. So it is a it is considered lower density, but very high quality. What do you think makes it low density? Just the, the terrain, um, you know, we're, it's pr primarily what you would think of as mule deer habitat. Um, so it, it, there's certain parts of the terrain that are, you know, the coos deer really actually thrive in, and there's not, not a lot of areas like that, but, um, you know, it, uh, it seems like they just kind of get gathered up in those certain little mountain ranges, and, and there'll be a spring or, you know, water source around there that they seem to to be heavily focused in that in that general area. That's good. Do you feel like um, you feel like your ranches can sustain you know year after year of, of harvesting big deer, or do you think there'll be a time when you have to lay off them a little bit? And you know, are those resident deer that you're that you're harvesting? And with low density, one one thing that would always alarm me is the fact that you know if you go a couple years and harvest some big bucks that you know, it won't replenish itself as fast as you're harvesting them. What's your thoughts on that? Well, we we actually we were had a feeding program going all all last year, and pretty much all the big bucks we had on camera, we didn't kill any of those deer. So we have you know we have definitely enough big deer to sustain what we have. Um, we have very conservative tag numbers on the ranches, so. It's not like they're being over harvested. I mean, it's it's very the tag numbers are minimal for the, for the numbers of bucks we are seeing. So you know, it's uh, it, I'm not worried about that at all. We're continuing our feeding program. We're actually expanding it to some of our other properties that are that have some great coos deer. Um, and we killed multiple bucks that were in the 120 to 130 range. We saw a couple of bucks that were definitely over the 130 mark. Um, those deer did not get killed, and we had multiple big deer on trail camera that were 120 and better that never got killed either. So 
I mean, there's definitely not an issue there with sustaining the quality. Do you think the big bucks that you had on camera but didn't kill, I mean, did you see the bucks and just didn't get them killed, or do you think they, you know, do you think they moved, or what, what, they, would, what would make you think that, you know, you saw, you saw them on camera but didn't get them killed? They just moved, and they just, you know, they weren't located during the hunts, because once, once they start rutting, I mean, it's, I mean, there's a lot of places for them to go. And if they do move out into the mule deer country, it's almost impossible to find them. Um, yeah. I mean, there's just so much ground out there. There's hundreds of thousands of acres that they can just disappear into. It's If you're not really familiar with the coastal areas, the vegetation is very thick. So it's just easy for animals to disappear and to hide. Uh, it's kind of one of the things that makes our country pretty, pretty unique to hunt because... Big mule deer and big coos deer can just disappear into thin air, and there's just no way to find them. I mean, there's just vast areas of real thick, heavily vegetated desert. Um, there's a lot of a lot more humidity there, so the vegetation grows a little thicker, um, and it just it makes an area there's it makes an area that is very uh, it easily hides big deer because once they decide they want to disappear, they go off into a particular area rutting that we don't access. Um, it's, you know, they pretty much survive the season. Yeah, that's good. Uh, being coastal and, and being where you're at different, you know, like say than where we hunt in the mountains, is your rutting time frame, I would imagine, a lot later, possibly, you know, the first two weeks of February? What, what have you found are your best rutting dates for coos deer? This year... I mean, the rut on the coos deer, they were rolling pretty hard that first week of January. Really? And, um, yeah, they were, and they and they were still rutting into the first week of February. Um, we didn't think the rut would be that early, but it was. So, and our mule deer rut, I mean, they, they coincided pretty much the same this year. So, I you know, I, I can't really say for sure, but I think this every year is just a little different. How was the mule deer hunting uh, this year? As far as your, ex, you know, you you go in with high expectations. Would you say it was it was every bit of what you thought? Was it less than what you thought, or or was it you know how did it fall with your expectations? Well, we knew coming into it that it wasn't an overall good horn growth year. Um, just some of the neighbors, neighboring ranches. I'm friends with the owners, and they told me that you know they didn't think there was going to be any real monster, monster mule deer get killed. And we killed multiple deer over 200 inches, but I think in a real good horn growth year, those deer would have been significantly bigger. We did miss a couple of bucks and see a couple of other bucks that were, that were definitely, you know, 215, 220 or better that we did not kill. But overall, the consensus in our area was that the horn growth this year was was just okay, and, you know, it was just average. It wasn't anything really to, you know, to speak of as far as being a really good horn growth year. We did have a feeding program going the entire year, which definitely helped some of our deer. But as we go into a second year of a feeding program, I think we're going to start to see more and more, uh, you know, beneficial things on the horn growth side of it because more of these deer, especially the younger bucks that are getting some age to them, they're, you know, that once they once they get a taste for the for the protein, then they always hunt those feeders. And as they get older and get maturity, they'll continue to eat off of those feeders. 
So um, we'll start to see the benefits, you know, over the next couple of years. Feeding programs don't necessarily have a huge impact the first year, but as you get into the second, third, and fourth years, we should start to see, you know, we should start to see some huge benefits from that. I was going to ask you what you're feeding. Are you feeding pellets, or tell me about that? Uh, they're pellets. Um, they're made down in Mexico. Uh, you can you can vary the protein percentage. Um, we actually have big metal feeders up that the deer come into, and they're up off the ground, so the javelinas can't eat them or eat the feed out of the uh, out of the openings on the feeders. But you know, it, it's a it's an expensive you know and a labor intensive situation to you know continue to do I mean it's uh, you know there are some there are some hurdles with trying to run a feeding program you know, south of the border but we've been able to do it and uh, we definitely see the benefits the deer after they get done rutting they like to come back into the feed and they, they go to the feeders and they use that feed to recover so not only are we are we supplementing these deer as they come out of the rut and they're in bad condition but we also have permanent water that we've established in all, on all these ranches. Um, we've put out a lot of different drinkers that we keep filled up. Um, and, you know, the benefits to the wildlife just in general is, is huge, um, putting water out where there's not normally water. Good stuff, good stuff. Yeah, I, I had fun following along on your Instagram, uh, watching the success of, of your hunts down there. And I remember you, Oh, a year or so back, or maybe two years, telling me you were going to venture down there, and we talked quite a bit about this, that, and the other, and, and uh, it's good to see you thriving down there. And uh, the, the reason I wanted to talk to you today primarily was to talk about New Mexico with the draw. Uh, I believe the deadline is coming up here March 21st. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, mm -hmm. And just wanted to go over, you've been in business there in New Mexico, guiding uh, elk and mule deer and antelope hunters for a long time. Uh, just want to first start out by saying, um, you know, phenomenal job with your outfit there. I've had uh, people that have listened to the podcast, heard you on the podcast, and, you know, then gone hunting and had uh, good hunts and what have you. For the listeners that maybe haven't heard you on the podcast before, um, can you tell me, a little bit about your operation, when you started, where you're based, et cetera. Um, I started the company in 2003, so we, we've been outfitting there in the same area since then. Um, we've got a lodge in Pytown, New Mexico, and we also now have another lodge on the west side of the unit closer to Fence Lake, New Mexico, or primarily our private land area, which is Unit 12. Um, we have another lodge over on that side. That, uh, that we run hunters out of also. So we have two lodges in that area. Um, we have roughly a half million acres of ranches. And um, we've been, I mean, we've been hunting these ranches for many, many years. And every year, you know, we pick up more ranches. Um, we do also hunt public land around Unit 12. We hunt the public land in Unit 13, Unit 10, uh, basically in that pocket right there. Um, if you look at a map, you'll see that those three units all sit together. Unit 12 is primarily private land. We do do a little bit of public land hunting there, but primarily it's all private land. Um, our public hunting is is primarily in 13 and Unit 10. Okay, let's dive right into that. Um, let's start with Unit 10 uh, and 
Um, I, I want you to keep in mind that there's guys listening that, yes, they want to hunt uh, on a guided hunt with you, but there's also guys uh, that are going to do it on their own and, and what have you. So, um, And I know you've, you've been very transparent before and, and, you know, given good information about each unit and what have you. Um, in Unit 10, what is the topography like and what is the hunting like in Unit 10? Unit 10 is very, you know, what most guys picture in their mind is elk country. It's very thick pine and aspen. There is some lowland junipers and, uh, you know, more low, low stuff, uh, P&J type country, but primarily it's real thick, dense forest. There are some huge bulls there, but it, it can be a very, very tough hunt. If they're not bugling in that unit, I mean, it can be just an absolute rough few days, okay? I mean, it's it's just an area that you can't really glass, so they, the key is there that they're vocal. Um, we, uh, you know, we ran some hunts there last year. Our, um, our archery hunt was great. The bulls were bugling. I mean, it was an, an amazing hunt. Once we got into gun season, which is in mid-October, I mean, the rut had just completely shut down. There was no activity whatsoever, and, I mean, it was tough. It was the toughest hunts we had anywhere last year, uh, you know, during any of our elk hunts was in Unit 10 during the gun season. And it's just, you know, it can be real hit or miss. It's a very easy tag to draw. I mean, some of the best odds you have of drawing a tag, whether you be in the outfitted pool or in the, the unguided non-resident pool um, are in Unit 10. I mean, it's easy to get a tag. You just have to keep an open mind that if you do draw a tag, it could be a very, very tough hunt. The elk are, are very pocketed, um, you know, and they're scattered out through the unit. There are some tremendous bulls. I mean, there was a bull killed there last year, not by not by us, but by someone that was hunting close to us that was I believe around 440 inches, and that was during the early archery season. So, I mean, the potential there is is as good as you will find anywhere in the country for quality, but people just have to keep in mind they can be a very, very tough hunt. Is it one of those things that it's so tough that that's why there's always a good bull or two because it's just tough hunting conditions and the terrain is such that, you know, there will always be a big one around? Yeah, I, I I really think that's the case. It's it's so thick that if they're not bugling and not vocal, you I mean you almost don't stand a chance unless you just get lucky. You just have to be at the right place at the right time. That's what we've seen in that unit. I mean, we've had other years that during gun season we did you know just amazing. Um, but I mean it just it's all dependent upon you know it's all dependent upon the rut. Um, and that's something that is just uncontrollable and unpredictable. So, you know, especially like during archery season, you can, if you're in there early before they're bugling, I mean, it can be very, very tough. Hunting water can be very productive, but if it's a wet year, it may slow down your water hunting also. So it's just, you know, there's pros and cons to the unit. Um, you know, it, it can be hit or miss. We... In one given year, we'll have clients that have great hunts there and other hunt clients that have horrible hunts because it's just slow. So um, just keep that in mind. Whether you, you know, If you're looking for really good odds of drawing a tag, that, it's a great third choice. But just keep in mind that you know, it could be one of the toughest hunts you ever do as far as elk hunting goes. 
Yeah, Tom, uh, you know GoHunt.com Insider is a title sponsor of this podcast, and I'm looking actually at GoHunt, and in the guided draw, interesting, you were talking about draw odds, uh, on that first hunt, September 1st through September 14th, uh, there were 36, this is in the guided draw, uh, the outfitted draw, there were 36 apps, and there were 13 tags drawn, so it was 59%, um, which is pretty good, pretty darn good draw odds for an archery elk hunt. Um, we've talked about it on other episodes. Uh, I've talked about it with other guys when we're talking about New Mexico, I think with Jeff Lester. Um, but if, if listeners haven't heard some of those prior episodes, can you talk uh, about the New Mexico elk draw, the fact that there's a resident pool, a non-resident pool, and then a guided pool, talk a little bit about um, how that process works and what you what the hunters have to do um, if they're a going to contact you and or regardless it, you know I think they have to sign into a portal and start an account. Why don't you go through that? Um, if you're going to apply in the outfitter draw with us, we actually email an application packet to you. You have to in order to apply in the guided or outfitted pool in New Mexico, you have to have a contract with an outfitter. Um, who is a who is a licensed outfitter in New Mexico? Once you have a signed contract with them, then like what we do, once we sign the contract with you or you fill out the application with us, and we go ahead and take everything over from that point on. We get we create you a portal, or we log into your portal and apply, do your application for you, and basically, ten percent of the tags per each per each hunt code are set aside for clients who apply with an outfitter. So your odds are higher, generally speaking, they're higher um, on most hunts. and some hunts, they're significantly higher if you go apply with an outfitter. But if you do apply with an outfitter, then you are, you know, you are obligated to hunt with that outfitter. So you can't draw a, a tag in the out, outfitted pool and then not hunt with the outfitter. The, the rules and regulations on that um, are very, you know, they're very strict, and honestly, they've gotten even more strict in the past couple of years. Weren't guys, and and if you don't know the answer, you don't have to talk about it, but weren't guys, like, trying to strike a deal with an outfitter and say, just let me put in under your license, and then I'll pay you a little bit, and they were kind of cheating the system? Wasn't there quite a bit of that going on? There was, but they've changed the rules. Um, we would never do that, but I've heard of it going on a lot in the past. Um, and now, I mean, they've made it almost impossible where you can't do that. Um, you know, it's... Uh, I was hearing know, stories of, like, guys meeting, 10, 10 guys meeting at Denny's, and the outfitter meets them, and he spends, like, two hours with them, and that fulfilled the, you know, the outfitted part. And then there was a thing where, you know, you have to spend at least two days, and um, it, it's funny how us as humans we try we'll try and do anything to get around the system yeah and that's that's a bad situation because um you know if you get caught doing something like that it's i mean they'll they'll yank your license i mean then they'll revoke you it's the same as hunting out it's basically the same crime as hunting outside of your unit um which is exactly. a revo revocable offense so you want to be by the book when you do that kind of stuff i mean if you're, if you're, you know, going to go into the, if you want to do it on your own, then just go in the unguided, unguided non-resident pool and do it like that. 
Um, if you want an outfitter and you want better odds, then apply with an outfitter. I mean, the pricing on, on hunts, if you draw the tags, aren't that steep. You know, I mean, in, in the grand scheme of things, it's not that expensive. If you draw a tag with us and we guide you on the hunt, it's it's really not that expensive. If you looked at what you can, would spend on your own to just try to do it on your own, um, I mean, you know, it, you're really talking a, a minuscule amount, and that's what guys don't take into consideration. I know a lot of guys like to hunt on their own. Um, I get it. But, you know, we New Mexico has a really good system for an out for outfitters and it, and there's a reason they do it that way it's a, it's a big business in New Mexico um, it protects you know it protects our industry um, there's people like myself and there's a lot of other guys out there that this is all we do this is and this is all we ever have done and we've built you know big businesses and big clientele base off of it and we bring a lot of you know benefit to you know a lot of different areas the economy um, you know, got, you know, I mean, there's people don't realize how big of an industry it is, and the benefits that we bring in, and then on top of it, the management. Um, our private ranches, you know, this year we actually just got back from New Mexico and a few days ago, and some of the things that we're doing on our ranches to improve our habitat and to improve, you know, the hunting and to improve water, you know, water sources for the wildlife, and you know, we're you're talking permanent food sources. I mean, it's just huge benefits across the board for everybody. And what drives that is, you know, the outfitting out business. Our, you know, our business of taking guided hunters, that's what enables us to do that. It enables us to go in and do improvements to our ranches and put money back into the ranches and increase, you know, the quality of the bulls and um, the numbers of elk that are in that area. So people have to look at the, the big picture on things. In talking about Unit 10, you talk about how tough it is, but every year there seems to be a giant bull come out of there, and it has good odds. Um, what percentage of it would you say is public? What percentage of it is private uh, in, in Unit 10? Unit 10 is primarily public land. There are some private ranches there that are, are very good. Um, landowners in that unit have the option to go ranch only or unit-wide. Okay, and that's something we've talked in the past about. Um, unit 10, so a, a landowner can, when he signs his ranch up for landowner tags, he can opt to be a unit-wide ranch or a ranch-only ranch. Um, unit-wide ranches, their tags are, are basically are, are valid for anywhere in the unit, including public land or any other unit-wide ranches. If it is a ranch-only ranch, the landowner tags that it is issued are only valid on that ranch, on the deeded property of that ranch. So you would then have to hunt on that private ranch. So if you look at it, there's a, f a few bigger ranches that are ranch only in that unit, and then there's quite a few smaller ranches that are unit-wide ranches. Now, as a do-it-yourself hunter or as an outfitter, those unit-wide tags can be purchased, and the hunt can be run on public land with those tags. Okay, let's jump into um, unit 12, which is one of your bread and butter units as well. And you say it's primarily private land, and you do a lot of a lot of your private land hunts are in unit 12. Um, how's it looking in unit 12? 
and talk a little bit about your ranches there. So Unit 12 is mostly private land. I mean, the, ma the majority of the unit is private land. Um, we control a good majority of the private land in the unit. Now, in that unit, it is different than Unit 10. Um, the, the landowners in that unit, they are not able to opt to be a unit-wide ranch. Everybody in that unit has to be a ranch-only sign-up, which means if you get issued landowner tags, you have to hunt on that property. Now, a lot of our ranches are tied together so that you can, you can hunt different ranches but under the same tag. So you don't have to stay on just one particular ranch. You can actually hunt other ranches that are uh, signed up together. So we, that's something we continually work on and getting all the properties um, combined so that we can have one management strategy across the board. Um, that unit is uh, what people, a lot of people are not really familiar with Unit 12. We've killed two state record archery bulls in that unit. We've killed just some giant elk. That unit is a unit that Elk populations can vary a lot depending on feed and rain. Um, it is surrounded by some of the best areas, um, some of the best units that just have some giant elk, and those elk can easily, in, in a few hours' walk, can be either on our ranches or off our ranches. And so depending on how the rain falls and you know, different situ situations, um, the populations in that unit can can either be cut in half or can double, you know, within a couple of months because elk are very migratory in that area. Not that they migrate with seasons, but they migrate with feed and, you know, other factors, water. Um, you know, what we saw last year is we didn't get as much rain in that unit and our elk populations were just down because a lot of the elk, I mean, they walked, you know, five or six hours over into Unit 13 or into Unit 10 or down to unit 15, you know, we're surrounded by all these prime elk areas um, and the elk will move. I mean, people don't understand how much an elk can move. We, we will watch bulls on trail camera and we know where they started during the summertime and we know where they end up at, during the rut. And they will move from anywhere from 10 to 50 miles, um, out, you know, from their summering areas. So, um, you know, unit 12, it can produce, I mean, obviously it has produced the biggest elk in the state. Some years it's just amazing, and some years it's tougher. Um, it just really depends on a lot of different circumstances. Um, we, we actually, what we were doing last week was trying to figure out how to take out some of those, those uh, X factors that, um, that we can't control. I mean, we can't control the rain. We can't control grazing, things like that. But we are, you know, we are looking at doing things to improve the ranches so that they help, you know, stay there. And they want to, you know, they want to stay there because of water sources and food sources and other things like that. So it's a, it's a intriguing unit. Um, I mean, it has obviously the potential. I mean, is the sky's the limit. Um, but every year is different in that unit. And as I explained to all the hunters that book with us and come out there, you know, every year is different, and every week can be different. And we have elk that move in after the rut that we've never seen before. I mean, this year, right before Thanksgiving, we had a bull show up on one of our private ranches. It was 400 inches that got killed, and we had not seen that bull all season long. So uh, you just never know in that unit 
what's going to move in from where. What is the public land opportunity in 12? I mean, would you tell the listener out there that's looking at 12 from a public land standpoint that to look elsewhere, look at 13 or look at 10? Um, or would you say, you know, I guess what would you say to the, the public land hunter that's wanting to put in for 12? If you could draw a public land tag in 12, I mean, it is a great hunt. For our guided hunters, it's their number one choice. Uh, we, we control access to a lot of public land that is landlocked, excuse me, a lot of public land that is landlocked by private land. In New Mexico, you're not allowed to cross private land to get to public land. So there's a lot of public lands out there that are not accessible in the unit that uh, basically you can only hunt them on a unit-wide draw tag. That's the only way you can legally hunt them. So. A lot of our clients like to try to draw that tag and, and have the ability to hunt public lands. Um, there are some areas in the unit, some stretches that are good blocks of public land that you can hunt. It is a great first choice. Um, there, there's not a lot of tags. The tag numbers are very, very low. So if you do draw the tag, you'll have a great hunt. I mean, no matter where you're hunting, you know, you will have access issues, um, but you know, if you apply with us, you won't have any access issues. It'll actually benefit you. Um, but there are plenty of places to hunt in the unit that have really good public land, and there's some of the best elk actually live in those areas. Um, so it's a good first choice, but it's very, very slim odds of drawing. It's very difficult for a non-resident to get a tag there. You're better off uh, being in units like Unit 10 or 13 that have more tags available there is, you, you can put those as your second or third choices if you do want to apply for Unit 12 as your first choice. Uh, what people have to realize that is that the New Mexico drawing system, they look at all three of your choices. So they go in order, and they go right down the list of the three choices. So you have just as good of odds of drawing your second or third choice as you do your first choice. So what you want to do is just apply in the order of difficulty to draw. So basically, you want to look at you know, which one is the hardest, you know, has the lowest odds, and put that as your first choice. And then In your other second words, choice. apply for the best hunt, one, two, three. And as you yes. get to three, it's, it's, in your mind, a worse hunt than the, the first choice. Yes. So you're going with your top hunt first, your second hunt second, your third hunt third. Yes. Okay. That's the um, best way to do it. I mean... You don't want to put all your eggs in one basket and apply for all Unit 12 hunts as your first, second, and third choices. There's only, there's only a couple of non-resident tags available for those hunts. So you don't want to get, you know, you don't want to pin yourself in that corner because it's very difficult to get those. It's good to use it as a first choice. They have a great rifle hunt, two great rifle hunts, actually, the first through the 5th of October, and then the, also a hunt that starts on the 6th. Um, they've got, you know, the archery hunts there are are just, I mean, they're awesome dates. Um, so that is the first choice is the way to go, and I would go into the second and third choices for Unit 13 and Unit 10. Okay. Um, you, you talk about the firearms hunt. It sounds like those hunts are actually a little bit earlier than some of the other units in New Mexico in the 15s and 16s. Talk a little bit about those hunts and, and the benefits of being able to draw one of those firearm tags? Well, Unit 12 is one of the only units you can hunt starting October 1st. We, on our private land, can actually 
start hunting October 1st, and we, we can choose any five days we want until the end of December. There's, there's three public land hunts in the unit um, that start, one starts October 1st, and then each week after that there's two, there's two other hunts. So basically the first two weeks of, of October is peak rut time. So it's one of the only places in the state of New Mexico and in the country that you could hunt during the peak of the rut. Generally, the first 10 to 12 days of October, the bulls are just going ballistic. And with a rifle in your hand, I mean, it's a, it's a slam dunk to kill a, a really good bull. Um, that's why our early private land hunts, which are guaranteed hunts, are so popular. I mean, our October 1st through the 5th hunt, uh, rifle hunt, is, um, I mean, it's a very coveted hunt for guys to, to book and to, to come out on because the bulls are always... They're always in peak rut during that time. We've we've never seen them, you know, not in peak rut. I mean, it's just it's just a great time to hunt, especially when you have a rifle. So, how's the broken antlers typically on that first to the fifth? Every every year is different. I mean, it just depends on how you know good of horn density they have that year, but. They definitely have been rutting, and they generally start rutting between the 5th and the 10th of September, and it kind of cranks up throughout the month of September, and then it peaks out that last week of September and that first 7 to 10 days of October. So, I mean, you can definitely run into issues with that. Um, you know, generally, if they're going to break, I mean, they, they've, they've already broken in September, so um, you just never know. I mean, it's uh, I get that question a lot, but... Every year is different. I mean, some years we see lots of bulls that are broken, and other years we don't see hardly any bulls that are broken. So I think it has a lot to do with the nutrition they get that year um, and how intense the rut is also. That leads me right into my next question. You were just over in New Mexico. You know, obviously Arizona's in a rough drought. We have had a few storms as of late. What is the situation there in, you know, 10, 12, and 13 in your units? Um, how does we, it maybe we, compare to some of the other units uh, or other years that you've been there? Um, we've had later moisture this year. We, we obviously, like you said, it's been dry. We have had a few storms in the past, you know, 45 days. When we were over there last week, I mean, there was good moisture an inch under the topsoil. So all that we can hope is that we can, can continue to get some storms coming through. The later the moisture happens, the better off we are. Um, if you get early moisture and then it dries out in the spring, it doesn't benefit us as much because the wind blows a lot in the springtime and it dries out the soil and you just don't get the grass popping. Um, if we can get some later storms, I mean, the best years we've ever seen is when we get April and May moisture. That's really the key. Um, if we get moisture in May, it can just be, I mean, we can have just an epic horn growth here. I mean, we did in 2015. We had a big snowstorm that came through. A lot of moisture got dumped in early May, uh, snow and rain. And that year, I mean, we've never seen bulls grow that big. I mean, it was just incredible. So really, May is the month. Late April, early May, if we can get moisture around that time, that's, that's when everything is warming up enough and the days are long enough that we can get some grass growing. I mean, if we can get moisture around that time, that would be the key time. Um, we can be as dry as we want right now, but if we get the moisture at the right time, you know, in April and May, we could have some phenomenal feed come up, and we could have just 
corn growth off the charts again. So that's really going to be the that's going to be the the factor is, factor is what happens in those two months. I want to take just a second here, Tom. Uh, I mentioned Gohan Insider. They're the title sponsor of the podcast. And I want to remind the listeners that if you want to sign up for a GoHunt.com uh, Insider membership, you can use the J. Scott promo code. So what you do is go to GoHunt Insider and click on the blue Join Now button. You'll have a chance to enter the J. Scott promo code, and that's going to get you a $50 GoHunt Gear Shop gift card. You can automatically buy something with that gift card, uh, and they have an incredible gear shop. Um, obviously, the resource, the Go Hunt Insider resource with the hunt, the draw odds, the statistics, the harvest data, uh, the strategy articles on uh, what units to apply for, and the, the breakdown per state are uh, awesome. And I encourage you guys to check them out. Make sure to use the J. Scott promo code. Also, want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. Uh, go to kuyu.com, that's K-U-I-U.com to check out their gear. Uh, phonescope.com, if you use the J. Scott 16 promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount there on Phonescope. Phonescope makes adapters that you can adapt any phone, uh, whether iPhone or Android, to any optic. You can be taking photos and videos immediately. Uh, and then the outdoorsman there in Arizona, uh, 1-800-291-8065 or outdoorsmans.com. If you use the J. Scott promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount. Uh, Tom, you talk about moisture. You talk about timing of moisture. Um, and we talk a lot about, about moisture when we're talking about applying in Arizona. And uh, it's funny, we're sitting here talking on the phone. The draw results actually just came out for Arizona, and I'm it makes sense why my phone is blowing up uh, on the on the other. I've got it on Do Not Disturb, but it's blowing up, um, and yours is probably too. We talk about moisture. We talk about it in Arizona, and I know it's just as important in New Mexico. But with the with the timing that we have to apply here for New Mexico by March 21st, what you're saying is it can be dry all at once right now, and the deciding factor you'll never know until you apply. So it's one of those things you can't control. So what you're saying is go ahead and apply, go for it, because, um, you know, it can be dry, but it could, the whole year could be bailed out with a few timely storms in April and May. Is that what I hear you saying? Exactly. And the thing about New Mexico is people have to realize they're they're not on a point system. So it's not like if you draw a tag next year and it's a bad horn growth year, it's not like you lost bonus points. Um, it's right. every year is an equal chance of drawing, so you might as well apply. I mean, if you hit it on a bad horn growth year, I mean, just go enjoy your elk hunt. <laughs> go, yeah. go get back to the core of what it's about, you know. I mean, I get a lot of guys that are always trying to time good horn growth years and, you know, stay away from the bad horn growth years, but, I mean, just go hunt. I mean, take a tag when you can get it, because that's the cool thing about New Mexico is that you can draw tags three or four years in a row, or you can only draw a tag every five or six years. But there's you don't wipe out your points when you draw, so you might as well apply. If you want to go elk hunting, it's a it's a no brainer to just apply. I mean, you know, yeah, it may be some years are better than others on the horn growth, but I mean, ultimately, what does it matter? I mean, you go enjoy a, go enjoy an elk hunt. I mean, New Mexico has some of the best elk hunting 
to offer in the world and some of the best, you know, the best experiences. So, um, you know, it's not like you're going to blow a lot of points. Like Arizona, yeah, I mean, you really want to be careful about when you draw a tag in a certain area because you're not going to be able to draw that tag again for quite some time. New Mexico, you just never know. Um, it's, it's a random drawing process. I mean, you can draw every year or you can never draw. There's, there's no point system. The only advantage you get is, is by applying with an outfitter. Let's talk about Unit 13. Unit 13, if a, if a person is looking for really, really big bulls, I mean, there are some just phenomenal bulls there. Uh, it's a primitive weapon only area. Right now, those tags are some of our most coveted tags because of the quality. Um, it, we only public land hunt there. The public land hunting there is great. Um, it, is a, it, it can be a very hard hunt if you're not guided. The elk are pocketed. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's a little thicker and a little more mountainous than Unit 12, where the private land is. It's not like Unit 10, though. It's not that thick. There is a lot of country that's glassable. Um, there's a lot of different dynamics to that unit that make it very good, I mean, a very good unit. Uh, it's, it's muzzleloader only. So these elk never get hunted with rifles in that unit. They well, it's archery. You can archery hunt, but there's no rifle hunts, right? So it's yeah, there's no rifle. There, yeah, the archery's okay. in September, just like all the other units, but there is no early peak rut rifle season. So basically from the end of the season is for archery is September 24th. So the elk do not get hunted during the peak of the rut there. There is a youth hunt that is the second week of October that is just an incredible hunt. Um, very few tags. There's only, I think, 25 tags for that hunt. I mean, the bulls are still generally in peak rut at that time. That one starts October 6th this year, I believe. They're still in peak Those rut. Are, that's that's only, good dates, isn't it? Starting the Oh, 6th? yeah. It's, it's, it's an awesome hunt if, you can, if, a, if a youth hunter can draw it. Youth hunters can also use landowner tags on that hunt if they want to. Um, but the landowner tags are, have started to get pretty, pretty expensive. Um, so the only hunt that actually happens during the, you know, the later half of the peak of the rut is the youth hunt. There's only 25 tags on that. The first regular season muzzleloader hunt in the unit starts the following weekend, which is this year, I believe, on the 13th or 14th, right around there. That, um, that's kind of the tail end of the rut. The rut's starting to taper down. There's still some big bulls cruising around, um, you know, but once again, they're, you're, you're hunting with a primitive weapon. So right there, the, the kill percentage goes down, and then on top of it, you're hunting out of the peak of the rut. Um, basically, it produces the perfect storm to have a lot of big mature bulls, and there, there just is a lot of big mature bulls there. It's a, I mean, it's a great unit. Um, that's, you know, a lot of our hunters that have hunted with us for years and years and years, that's, that's where they start hunting. I mean, they start buying tags with us to hunt in Unit 13. Um, the odds, you know, the odds are, are pretty good, but... Um, you definitely you definitely have better odds if you're with an outfitter of having a really good hunt. You know, we've got so much experience in that unit that, I mean, we just, we know where the big bulls are going to be, and we know where they're going to be if they're not in the areas that they typically are. So we know where they move to. We're very familiar with it. Um, you know, there's there's just some phenomenal quality in that in that area. And there's good tag numbers, so there's high numbers of non-resident tags available. Um, not not like huge tag numbers. Like if you look down in Unit 15, there's 
I mean, you're in the hundreds of tags, whereas in Unit 13, it's about half of that. So it still keeps it a good quality hunt as far as hunting pressure goes. Um, you know, you'll you'll see guys around, I and mean, you might bump into a few guys on the roads, but it's not like you're going to be out hunting and have guys all around you. It's just not like that. So the unit has a lot of, of good spots that don't really even get touched by hunters. So that's always nice because there's always some place you can go and not have any hunting pressure. Um, you know, so, and they have unit-wide landowner tags there. So you can buy landowner tags and hunt public land and uh, do that every year. So 13 is definitely by far my favorite. Um, you know, it's uh, a lot of guys like to be on private land, so that's why they come and hunt with us in Unit 12. But, um, you know, public land hunting, uh, you won't find better public land hunting than in 13. There is, um, they're definitely, the, the elk do get more educated in that unit because public land hunters tend to not hunt them as smart as they should, and they're, they pressure them pretty heavily. So the elk do get more educated. Um, they're they're more difficult to kill in that unit because they're just even though they're they're bigger, they're older, um, they're they're just a little more educated. Um, these public land hunters, a, a lot of them are just if they get on a bull, they push him and push him and push him, and then they bust him out, and they just don't hunt as smart as they should be hunted. Whereas like on our private land, our guides are very you know very tight you know they're very smart about how they hunt elk because they don't want to educate them. They don't want to scare them off the ranches. Um, they hunt them very, very carefully. When you get over into a public land unit, I mean, I don't care where you're at, um, the public land hunters tend to push them a little harder and they educate them a little more, which makes them a little harder to kill. But um, quality is just, I mean, in that unit, even on your bad horn growth years, you're going to have some really, really big bulls. Let's talk about your mule deer. Um, that it's one thing that always just blows my mind when I drive through that country. It looks like such good mule deer country, and I know you have good mule deer, but why don't you, why doesn't New Mexico kick out better deer than it does? Because of the season dates. I mean, the season dates are tough. You'll see big deer in early September when they're in the velvet. You'll see some just gigantic deer in our areas. I mean, deer that would just I mean blow your mind. I mean, you'll see multiple deer over 200 inches. I mean, well, I mean, when I say over 200, I'm not saying, you know, 200 to 205. I'm talking, but you'll see bucks that are 210, 220, 230, big, big deer. And you'll see them in velvet. And then once they go hard horned at the end of September, they, uh, they just get hard to hunt. And they, they will disappear until the rut starts. And the rut doesn't start in our area until mid-December. Once the rut starts, then these deer will start popping out again. There's a lot of pinion and juniper for them to hide in. So in that, the rifle hunt is at the end of October. The deer are hard-horned, and they're very difficult to find. Um, you know, we just are very upfront about that. Um, we, you know, we, we run the hunt accordingly. I mean, letting people know up front that, hey, you, you're not going to see many deer. You could kill a giant uh, but you don't plan on seeing many bucks and don't plan on having a very high kill percentage. You know, if you want to come and hunt an area that has huge deer and just know that it's going to be tough and that you high probability you won't kill a deer, but you're going to be in an area that has 200-plus-inch deer, then it's the hunt for you. But if you need to see a lot of animals 
and you need to kill something, then it's probably not the hunt for you. So you just got to keep that in mind in that area. You know, if they would give us tags, the Game and Fish would do a management strategy where we had tags during the rut. Um, we would definitely kill some incredible deer. But, you know, the guys that generally have most opportunity, uh, especially like in Unit 12 on the private land, the archery hunters in September, those guys always see, a, see some big deer, and they get the opportunity to stock big deer. Um, but the success is still very low just because they're trying to do it with a bow. I mean, it's um, it's it's incredible to see some of the deer that are there during when they're in velvet, and then it's just amazing. They usually strip their velvet off that last week of September, and you won't see those bucks again until the rut starts. Before we get to antelope, I, I had forgotten uh, you also do a bunch of um, late cow elk hunts. Are you still offering those? And if people are interested, should they just contact you? And, and yeah, I hear the hunt's it. really, really good. Oh, yeah, it's awesome. I mean, our kill percentage on those is some years will be 100%, some years 95%, you know, somewhere in that range. I mean, there's lots of opportunities. Um, if you want to come do a meat hunt, I mean, those are some of those are definitely our most popular hunts, and every year they get more and more popular. And we do it for a variety of reasons. We have a lot of hunters that just want to come on a meat hunt. They get a chance to stay at our lodge. You know, we feed them and house them for three days. Um, a lot of these hunts maybe go a day, day and a half max. We've got a lot of elk, and we definitely are trying to manage our cow to bull ratios in that area. So we hunt the cows as heavily as we can. Um, those hunts run late October through end of December. And it's great if you have kids. If you want to bring bring your kids on, a, on their first elk hunt, it's a great opportunity to do that. It's a great experience, very controlled setting. Um, it's a very it's a very popular hunt for families. I mean, we've been we have families that have you know come cattle hunting with us for years now. I mean, they they just rebook when they leave, you know. So that's a that's a good way to get out and kind of get a taste for what we do and what we have out there. And uh, you know, if you want to put some meat in your freezer, it's the perfect opportunity. So. All right, now let's talk about something goofy, and maybe it's not goofy to you, but it's goofy to me. Your antelope hunting is goofy <laughs> because, from what I understand, you put in and then you get placed on a ranch randomly. Like you could just be placed, like you can't pick where you want to go. Talk about that. Okay, so if you apply in the draw for a rifle tag in our area, it's not just our one unit. It takes in a group of units, and then they they will put you on a ranch, and there's n nobody has any control of that. That is done by Game and Fish. So to go into the the draw for an, a rifle antelope tag, you never know where you're going to be placed. Okay, and you could be put on a good ranch, a bad ranch, a small ranch, a big ranch. You just never know. Now, the archery hunt is a different situation. If you draw an archery tag, you can hunt anywhere you want in those units. So it's actually like a public tag. That's a really good hunt. It's in August. If you apply with us for that tag, we can, we can you know, get you onto our ranches, or we can do a variety of different things. Now, if you want to hunt a specific ranch, then you would actually get a landowner tag, and you could hunt with a rifle on that ranch. 
our antelope hunts are, are one of the most popular hunts that we offer, I mean, in that area. And the reason is, is because the quality of antelope in our area, you won't find better quality anywhere in the world. Um, our average on those antelope is generally 83 to 85 inches. Um, it's 100% kill. I mean, if you're looking for a Boone and Crockett buck, our western New Mexico ranches in Unit 12 is where you want to be. Um, there's, we've killed multiple bucks that are in the high 80s and around the 90-inch mark. Um, we have just some tremendous antelope. The genetics there are incredible. We get very, very few landowner tags. So, I mean, it's the antelope are just, I mean, the percentage of bucks that we kill that we actually have is just minuscule. Um, so those hunts are just, for guys that are looking for big antelope, and it seems like lately in the past year or two, Big antelope that make Boone and Crockett, you know, net at least 82 and bigger are just, the market has uh, become a very, very popular. Guys are looking for big antelope. Um, now, we do have something that, something that we haven't discussed yet. We do have, for guys that are just looking for a, just a good antelope hunt to go just shoot a nice buck, we do have over 300,000 acres in eastern New Mexico that we offer for those type, those quality of antelope. And those ranches, that, that's over north of Roswell in that area. Um, we get quite a few tags over there. I mean, when I say nice antelope, I'm saying antelope that run from 77 to 82 inches. Um, just nice bucks. I mean, big, nice, pretty bucks. Um, you know, that that is for the guys that you know, aren't looking to kill a Boone and Crockett buck. I mean, they could, they could definitely kill a Boone and Crockett buck over there. The genetics aren't quite as good, but it's a fun hunt. It's less money. Um, you know, there's lots of antelope. Um, but, yeah, what you're talking about with the draw, the New Mexico draw system is very weird on the rifle um, end of it. it it's just, it's, it can be a tough deal to be stuck on a ranch, especially if there's not a big goat there, you know. For sure. Well, Tom, it's been awesome having you on the podcast as always. Um, I really appreciate you spending time with us here. I want to give you a chance to let people know how they can follow you, how they can contact you, and get more information on your landowner tags. And uh, We've got this deadline coming up March 21st, so they've got to get uh, their, if they're going to go in the guided pool, they've got to get a hold of, of you. And uh, if, you know, if you're not going in the guided pool, you know, you got to get on the stick and get your application then for the for the public hunt. So go ahead and tell us uh, how you how we can follow along. Uh, the best way to reach us is to call our office. Um, that is six zero two four seven eight zero six zero one, and ask for Mercy, and she can send you she can send you an application packet. Um, you can also find us through our website which is bmohunts.com. Um, you also, you know, I always encourage people to follow our social media. Our social media, I mean, we do everything, we promote everything through our social, our so- social media, our Facebook and our Instagram. Uh, Instagram, we are, our, our handle is at Black Mountain Outfitters, Inc. So it would be at Black Mountain Outfitters underscore Inc. Um, you can check us out on there and follow us and, we, we put out information there, you know, on a, almost a daily basis, especially now that the draw is coming up. Um, but uh, you can contact us, you know, any of those methods. Right on, buddy. Well, um, 
like I said, I appreciate it, and uh, keep up the good work, okay? All right, sounds good. Anything we missed that you can think of? No, I don't think so. I just encourage people to get their application packets in early um, so we don't do last-minute stuff, you know? <laughs> right on, buddy. Well, sounds good. Well, God bless. I'll catch you later, okay? Okay, sounds good. Thank you. All right, bye.